My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is online Lego serious play. With me is our guest, Sean Blair. Sean is a professional facilitator, author, and trainer. He is the founder of ProMeet, an award-winning international facilitation business that helps people work together to create outcomes. He was the co-author of a five-star reviewed book, Serious Work, how to facilitate meetings and workshops using the Lego Serious Play Method. His second book, Mastering the Lego Serious Play Method, published in March 2020, focused on the fine details of face-to-face facilitation. His most recent book, How to Facilitate the Lego Serious Play Method Online, outlines new techniques for the shared model building and COVID-safe face-to-face. Sean also runs Serious.Global, a gold standard practice-based facilitation training business. So, Sean, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. How are you? Ah, thank you very much. I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for okay. inviting me to join you. Yeah, it's great to have a fellow practitioner in the Lego Series Play method. Uh, however, I must note that you are a master at this uh, with your three books. So I am just uh, trotting behind you, as they'd say. So uh, what I'd like to do is, is, you know, really promote you and your books, which I think are fabulous. And what I'd like to do firstly is because our topic is Lego Serious Play and online Lego Serious Play, can you explain to the listeners what is Lego Serious Play? Yeah, it's, um, it's a question that I get asked quite a lot and I try to give a simple answer. I think Lego Serious Play is nothing more than an enhanced communication tool. Um, actually, we could almost think of it a bit like a post-it note Right. What it, what's a post-it note? A post-it note is a way of communicating. And Lego Series Play is just another way of communicating. It has some strengths that uh, a post-it note or you know, talking to each other doesn't have. And I tend to think of it as being enhanced communication. That means that we can activate more ways of communicating. We can use auditory communication. We can use visual communication and we can use kinesthetic communication. And when people tell stories of models using those three modes of communication, it creates a much richer form of communication, particularly for the people listening. So what is Lego Serious Play? It's just an enhanced communication tool. I like from my own experiences is there and you were talking about using those three different uh, senses there, the the visual and the uh, auditory and the kinesthetic. And I remember using with someone that was more introversion in nature and they're more technical, you know, they're in terms of their personality style. And when they were using that brain to bone connection as you know, our our uh, our mentor Robert Rasmussen might say, is they started revealing about themselves and connecting with their subconscious that they mightn't have done. So isn't that, I suppose, the beauty of of play and Lego series play? Yeah, I think that's another benefit. Actually, um, I think it makes it easier. The objectification of some subjects makes it easier to discuss. For instance. If we were working with a team and we said to them, let's talk about the negative behaviors we've seen in this team in the last week, that's going to be a tough conversation, particularly in Ireland where people are so polite to each other. (laughs) If we said to the same team, build a model to show a negative behavior that you've seen in this team in the last week, people find that very easy. They could build a model of somebody being superior 
or somebody yeah. not listening or somebody being disrespectful. Yeah. And because they're objectifying that as an issue and not attaching it to anybody sitting around the table, it makes it much easier to talk about. Yeah, and it really, I think the beauty about Lego Serious Play, it really enhances communication, especially listening. So if we're talking about a difficult topic like that, right, and yeah. what the listeners can't see is in, in the video, you actually showed me a Lego model that represented hierarchy, okay? Mm. Uh, a very long tower and just a, a little Lego piece on top. And when you're objective like that, when you're talking through the model, then it really takes the emotion out so it allows people to listen. Would you agree? Yes. I mean, actually, you, as, a, as a designer of a mm. workshop, you can actually um, try to work out whether to um, step aside from emotion yeah. and, and not um, evoke that. Or sometimes do the opposite. Yeah. Um, you know, have a build question that tries to evoke an emotional response. Uh, I was working with an eye research charity, and as part of the skills build warm-up, I said to them, build a model to tell a story about the most beautiful thing you have ever seen. So they're an eye research charity, and I can still remember the model that the chairman built of his daughter walking down the aisle on the day of her wedding, which was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. So it... it I think in many ways, this, this leads us into one of the things that I think is the most important part of a Lego series play workshop, and that's actually the design and prep stage. Yeah. Success in any workshop with Lego or without Lego is determined in the design and the prep stage. It's not about showing up with a big smile and a bag of bricks and a lot of enthusiasm. Um, that's just kind of play. That's just mucking about. Yeah. If we use the method properly, if we learn how to design and plan workshops, we can lead groups to meaningful outcomes. And at its most professional use, Lego Series Play can be a very powerful tool for helping groups create useful outcomes. And for me, you know, I'm a you know a facilitator as well, and I think I tr keep trying to explain to people the amount of preparation time or design time is so crucial to the uh, outcome for any workshop, whether it be Lego Series Play or not. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a little bit in terms of your process in terms of design? And I'm quite interested uh, in that, like how much time would you spend with the client? You know, how much time would you spend asking questions and how much time would you spend actually designing the workshop itself? Yeah, I mean, the design time is really related to the complexity of the topic. Mm -hmm. um, if it was a strategy workshop with a very senior group of people, um, the ratio of prep to delivery could be as high as 10 to 1. It could, yeah. I mean, I have definitely spent 10 days preparing for um, a one-day session with a very senior group of people from one of the world's biggest banks. Yeah. So if it was a, a half-day team build as part of a, you know, Christmas gathering, yeah, that would take hours to prepare, not, not much yeah. prep needed. Yeah. So the prep time is really related to how difficult the topic is, how senior the group is, yeah. and how sort of, you know, strategic the, the assignment is. Um, in terms of whether it's sort of short or long, the most important part of the prep stage is defining a clear set of workshop objectives and that sounds simple but I think people find it much harder than, than it sounds and in my experience people are actually not very good at writing and being clear about their objectives so we train people when we run our trainings we cover the prep and design stage in really some detail including the anatomy of good objectives. And we've written about this in our first book, Serious Work. The, um, the second chapter is called Outcomes, Not Meetings. Mm. And we talk a lot about the importance of the prep stage. That's where success is defined during prep. And it's very reassuring. So when I'm working with clients myself, I try to explain to them, you know, design time that, uh, you know, they'll say, well, how much is the design 
cost and this. And I would go, well, how long is a piece of string? I need to know the complexity of it first and then I can quote yeah. you a, a price. And there's many applications then to uh, Lego Sears Play, isn't there? So you mentioned strategy, you mentioned team building. What are the other applications to Lego Sears Play? Yeah, I mean, that, that's another how long is this piece of string kind of question in a way. I mean, I would answer it by saying any way you can use a post-it note, you can use Lego Series Play. Mm. Um, so, and you can use a post-it note in couples therapy, in Bible study, in strategy, in team, in day-to-day management, in leadership. You know, you name it. Um, you can use this as a communication tool um, whenever you need people to, to communicate effectively with each other. Yeah, I've had I've used it for resilience. I'm also a qualified mediator as well, Sean. Yep. So, um, and and people sometimes use this as a way to to mediate to understand pe- different people's perspectives, which is back to communication again. And then in terms of of strategy, then as well. And a lot of people are listening in, and they still might be trying to get their head around Lego. Lego in the workplace. Okay, so we talked earlier on about this is is that many people may not know this. This is new, some sort of new uh, approach. This is over 20 years old, isn't it? Yeah, the method was created over 20 years ago um, at actually a business school in Switzerland, the IMD business school, by two professors, Professor Johann Roos and Professor Bart Victor. Um, so, yeah, it comes out of kind of... Um, research business school kind of research it's underpinned with a lot of academic ideas um and i also get that some people could really struggle with the idea of a process that includes the word lego and the word play these are things that um some organizations would think that's got no nothing to do with our workplace you know work is a serious thing Um, so i get that there can be some people might be thinking it sounds a bit weird yeah, and that's all goes back to the design then. So, you know, there is a focus and really what Lego is, it's that uh, methodology. So so then, you know, in terms of that, there's lots of research that has gone into this, isn't there? There's many people doing PhDs in the importance of play at work. Can you tell me a little bit more why play might be important at work in terms of Lego series play? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll frame it this way. Sometimes I talk about Lego, serious, and play. And I think that it's good if you get a balance of those three. If it's Lego and it's play and there's no serious, it, it's not a, a method we should be using professionally. If it's really, really serious and there's no play, then we're sort of losing out. So I think Lego serious play should have a blend of those three things. Lego is just a, a medium. It's a material Um you know, some people sort of said, well, could you do the same thing in Play-Doh? Um, I think you couldn't do the same thing in Play-Doh. Play-Doh is very amorphous. It's quite difficult to control. Mm. Um, one of the things that's brilliant about the Lego uh, system is it's designed for kids. Um, so people can very quickly create representations of things. Um, I think I've lost my thread. P- pull me back, William. Yeah, what you, was I you, no, that's about? that's quite fine. I was very interested in what you were saying. So we were talking about play and why it's so important. And then you had said Lego, serious uh, and play. And you were saying you need to have that equal balance of those uh, three things. Have you have you got back on track yet? Yeah. So um, so why why play? Um, I've done some training with the U.S. Army War College. So I've trained some senior military men and women how to use Lego serious play. And if you think about something as serious as war, you know, they play war games to try to understand what might happen in, in any given different sort of scenario. So even you know, if, if, if a playful process can be used in something as serious as conflict, then surely, you know, most organizations could use playful approaches for exploring their own futures. Yeah, and, and, that, and then that brings us to method because there is a method to it is we have a build question. People build that vision, you know, in terms of whatever that may be in their subconscious mind. So it's, it's an innovative approach, especially during COVID times. We talked about this uh, beforehand. And again, in terms of that method, I think what's really important 
about like a serious place, especially have introversion and extroversion people is it's a very inclusive process. Sometimes you go into other types of facilitation processes and extroversion type people might dominate where this creates a level playing field, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is very much my experience. It is a very democratic method. Um, whether you are the chief executive uh, or the sort of the lowly new, you know, junior, um, you get the same amount of airtime. You get to express your views through the models that you build. Um, so it is a very democratic method. Um, and that, I think, helps reduce the downsides of positional power. Um, I think, you know, diversity in thinking is known to be something that good teams do. They are diverse in their nature and their thinking. And when people build models of the ideas in their mind, um, it's a bit like making another analogy I often use is if you could plug your brain into a 3D printer, yeah, you could make a, a print of what you're thinking. A Lego model is a bit like a 3D model of your thoughts. And you can then show your thoughts to people and just say, well, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And then people can ask you questions about the thoughts. So why have you used a black brick there? Does that mean anything? Or what might it mean that you've got four legs, not three? Mm. Um, and when you build, there might not have been a reason for that. But as somebody asks you questions, it may trigger new layers of thought and insight to you. Um, that's one of the reasons that we really encourage curiosity in the process, that we can discover more about the things that we've built. So that analogy of uh, plugging your brain into a 3D printer, that's a bit like what Lego Series Play can do. Yeah, and it goes back to that that method then as well, that you know, it you really do need a strong facilitator to have that design and be able to be curious you know, and, you know, have that balance as well. Isn't that true? Like the facilitator's role is really crucial in terms of the success of the workshop. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I think that a facilitator with or without um, uh, Lego as a, as a method can make a huge difference in helping guide a group towards a set of outcomes. You use the word strong, Um I think there are times when the facilitator needs to be strong and there are other times when the best thing the facilitator can do is disappear and be yeah. invisible. So it, it depends. If a group needs um, a moment of discipline um, where we're all going to stick to the thing we need to be talking about, then that's where a sort of strong facilitation could be good. If a group is having a breakthrough, um, then actually the best thing the facilitator can do is just disappear and get out yeah. of the way and let the group you know, have the conversation they need to have. So I think, I think facilitation does seem to get a little easier as you get a bit older. Um, yeah. you, know, you can read what's going on in the room. I think the other thing that older facilitators might sometimes uh, be better at is um, having an awareness of their own insecurities. Um, a, a poor or weaker facilitator is one who doesn't have that awareness. Mm -hmm. And something which I've um, sometimes seen, particularly with new facilitators, is they facilitate a shared model build. And sometimes they might unwittingly put their need for a group to agree a shared model ahead of where the group actually is. Um, yeah. It would be better for a group to have an honest and authentic disagreement than for the facilitator to get the group to go, yay, we all agree with this, it's fantastic, because the facilitator is having his or her own need met. So I think that there's something about sort of those levels of mastery in facilitation and, and self-awareness is one of the keys there. Yeah, I, I, you're dead right. You know, there's certain about that experience where you can be creative or emergent and it's about focusing on the process or the method versus the end result because sometimes it's our agenda to say, listen, have we done a great, great job? We've got a result. And if it's okay, we might pull it back a little bit is we might explain to our listeners what a shared model build is because we're both uh, LSP facilitators, so we're aware of that. How might you describe what a shared model build is? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably helpful to think about three different build levels, if you like. Yeah. 
So let's start with the simplest. The simplest build level is when a facilitator would say to a group of people, build a model to show your vision for the future of this business. And everybody beavers away working by themselves and they all produce what we call an individual model. So each person has a model that they have built. Then they'll talk through the stories of the models. Then we can create a shared model. So a shared model is when you then say to a group, okay, now work together to take some of the components from your individual model and create a shared model, a single representation of the shared idea that we're trying to work upon. That's what we call build level two, shared models. And then the third build level is what we call system models. That's when we can then explore some of the systemic factors that might impact something like a vision. Um, so there are these three different build levels, individual model building, shared model building and system model building. That's that's quite fascinating in terms of the level of depth that a group can, uh, I suppose, discuss and diagnose and really start to figure out how do we, you know, what do we do with the, all this content that, you know, we've just suddenly tapped into. There's a huge potential in Lego Series Play, isn't there, for in terms of that group potential, we can harness that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is. I mean, there's huge potential in any group. Um, Lego Serious Play can sometimes be the right process tool, and sometimes it's not the right process tool. Mm. Um, it really depends upon the objectives of the meeting. So if a meeting is there to create something or to explore something, yeah. then Lego Serious Play is a very good tool for creating and exploring. If we had a workshop which was about, let's say, I don't know, agreeing or analyzing um, or gathering or harnessing, we may not use the method. It may not be the right process tool. This is why the objective setting part of any, any workshop design is absolutely key because it's the objectives that will imply the process, particularly the selection of the verb. You know, if a workshop is to create the verb mm. create, then let's have a creation tool. If the objective yeah. is to agree, then let's have an agreement process. Yeah. If the objective is to analyze, then let's use some analytical tools. So that's why the sort of the objective setting is absolutely one of the keys. Yeah. I would completely concur with that point. Uh, as you can see behind me here, uh, there's a pin board. So I use different facilitation tools and methods. And for me, it's about using the right tool at the right time. And sometimes I believe that Lego Series Play would be the right tool. And sometimes... Um, I will use something else that's more fit for purpose, you know? So I think, I think there's a, a great point that you're making there. So what are your experiences then about transferring uh, to online then? So you're talking about the design piece. There's a huge layer then in terms of, uh, is it complexity or is it simplicity in terms of using Lego Serious Play then online? Yeah, I mean, so... You know, let's be honest, if you had asked me in January this year, can we be running a successful Lego Series Play workshop online? I, I would have said no. I honestly would have said no. I would have said, don't be silly. This is a face-to-face -face process. It, you, know, you can't do it online. And then COVID comes along. Um, and at the end of March, um, we became aware of our own biases and we decided to set our biases to one side and said, well, let's explore. Let's see what's possible. Let's see how to do this online. And by kind of setting our own biases to one side and having a genuinely open mind and by running a great deal of different types of experiments, we discovered actually you can do Lego series play extremely effectively online. In actual fact, there are some parts of the online process that are better than the face-to-face -face version. Yeah. Um, particularly recording the 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 journey um you've got to be very disciplined in a face-to-face -face workshop to capture photographs and videos and um, of the story as it evolves if we use a set of digital whiteboards something like mural we can capture the story of um of, of the workshop journey as we go along um it's also interesting, you talked earlier about sort of, you know, those bigger, grander, bolder, uh, more verbose characters. I think online people tend to be better at taking equal airtime. 
is what I noticed. I think generally, you know, if you had six people on the Zoom call, that the bossy, noisy, loud person um, sort of probably is a bit less bossy and noisy online. They tend to, to, to be slightly more equal in terms of sharing the airtime. Um, we've also discovered that through COVID, as people are sitting, you know, at home with their cat wandering around in the background, it's as though we're sort of not wearing that professional mask so much. Yeah. People seem more honest, more authentic, more themselves. So I've experienced um, even higher degrees of vulnerability um, through some of the online Lego series play sessions that I've run than I have in a face-to-face -face setting. I also think there is some research, actually, that says that um, when the internet came along, some therapists, um, psychotherapists, discovered that for some client groups, they were even more open when it was mediated online. So Lego Serious Play and online, you know, if you'd have asked me at the beginning of the year, I would have said, don't be silly. Um, we then put our own biases to one side, ran a whole set of experiments, and now we've discovered that actually you can do um, pretty much everything you would do in a face-to-face -face setting um, online too. This week, we actually ran a Build Level 3 system workshop online. I don't know if you saw it on LinkedIn, uh, but yeah. we put some, some photographs of that up. That's fascinating. Speaking about LinkedIn, I've been tracking your journey uh, over the, the last couple of, of months, and I have to applaud you how you and your community have really overcome a lot of the challenges of, of COVID. And some people will say then, you know, it is this is this is a really novel approach. It's a different way to engage people because people have you know fatigue from doing the same old same old where actually lego provides a bit of splash of color if you want to forgive me for saying that what are your thoughts i totally agree i totally agree william i mean it's been a sort of a tough year for first well for millions and millions for those kind of people that are desk-based computer-based you know, we've been broadly sitting in the same spot for nine months. You know, here's my spot. I've been sitting here for nine months. Um, I mean, mercifully for me, a lot of my work does involve using the bricks. I think if I was sort of glued to 30 hours with the Zoom calls a week, I'd be sort of pulling my hair out by the end of the week. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that the, the Lego technique can add a bit of color, a bit of um, interest, um, um, and actually having sort of, I suppose, pioneered some of the approaches to online, we found ourselves invited into all sorts of bits of new client work that probably we wouldn't have been invited to if we weren't, if we didn't know how to do online. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Plus yeah. also the, the carbon travel cost, that's been another big one. Yeah. You know, for the last few years, I've been traveling a lot, a lot of airplane flights here, there and everywhere. And one of the things that I've really come to value in the online approach to Lego Serious Play is zero travel carbon costs. And even if we could push a magic button and COVID would disappear magically forever, um, online Lego Serious Play will remain a valid process tool, particularly for international organizations. Um, yeah. The ability to get people from different time zones in different countries to work together um, without sort of lots of... Uh, airplane flights brilliant yeah and for me I, i've definitely benefited from that from a, even from a, a selfishly from a for being a father for being you know health i shouldn't say selfishly is actually more self-care is i'm actually yeah. healthier than i've ever been because of you know i don't have the, those travel pressures and i have a couple of questions for you if that's okay so we're talking about covid and um, you're talking about different people on calls. What would you believe is the magic number in terms of facilitation? So, you know, I, I know the reason why I adopted Lego Series Play at the start was I noticed people's concentration levels were diminishing. Okay. Um, so in terms of technology, people were used to, I suppose, a certain pace. And what I wanted to do was make my workshops more engaging and richer and deeper. So that's why I uh, introduced Lego Serious Play. For yourself then, in terms of that maximum engagement piece, what's your kind of magic number that if you were to work on a, on a Zoom call with people, what, what would that be? Um, I think my magic number is six. Yeah. Um, when we were trained in face-to-face -face Lego Serious Play, you might have been told the same that I was, that sort of, 
a maximum group size was 12. Yeah. I always felt as that was, that was too many. Um, I mean, one of the things that we know in the Lego series play method is everybody builds a model in answer to the question and everybody tells the story of the model. So if you've got 12 people and everyone takes two minutes to talk through the story of their model, that means that we have to be listening for 24 minutes. Now that's quite tough. You know, 24 minutes of concentrated listening. So I always thought that kind of in a face-to-face setting, a, a magic maximum number was probably more likely eight. Yeah. Um, if we had a workshop, let's say with 40 people, I ran a workshop for Luton Airport uh, about a year ago, 40 people, we put them into table groups of eight. We had them all build um, individual models. They then all built shared models. And then we used what we call a meta-model building process. So if you've got six table groups with eight each, and they've all built a shared model, we'll then put each of those six shared models in a circle, and then we will build a single meta-model of the key ideas from each of the other shared models. So there are techniques and ways of getting larger groups to work together on common issues. Um, I think online, the magic number is six. I think face-to-face, the magic number is eight. And then logistically, people are saying, well, do I bring my own uh, Lego? How, how does this how does this work? Um, we just pop um, bricks in the post. Um, okay. So okay, so... If we were running a workshop with, um, let's say, um, individual model building only, we'll stick a bag of Windows bricks in the post to everyone. Okay. If we were doing a workshop where we were doing some shared model building, we'll send six bags of Windows bricks and a base plate. Yeah, so people may not know what what are Windows bricks. What are Windows bricks for our listeners? So a Windows kit, um, it's called Windows, that's the name that Lego gave to it. It's a simple bag of bricks. I think there are 48 bricks in there. They cost £3.14 each, so they're not very expensive. Um, So you can um, send 48 bricks for £3.14 plus the postage um, to people. So the costs are not that high. You know, what's that, the cost of a couple of whiteboard markers or a, you know, yeah. post-it note or a notebook um you obviously got a bit more um if if we if we're doing work with people from last week i ran a training we had lady from singapore lady from uae a guy from um south korea somebody from finland somebody from the uk and somebody from germany and we sent bricks to all of them um, so we've got a bit more logistics and postage to do but you know it's 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 no big deal that really takes care of the hygiene factor then in terms of COVID, isn't it? So it makes it an engaging experience. And this is, you know, what's the, the great thing about your book then is you give people that step-by-step, you know, guide in terms of, you know, how to transfer this online. Can you give us some of the examples of maybe some of the tips or tricks? And I'm not asking you to reveal the whole book, but, you know, maybe one or two things that, you know, uh, that you, you found successful. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying that the online book that we published in October was written for an already trained audience. So yes. it was written for you, William. Yeah, People who which I really already... appreciate, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. It's a, that. It's I mean, a godsend, I have to no, say. Thank we, you. We, we wrote it for people who had already been trained and had the basics. Yeah. Uh, if you were not trained and didn't have the basics, you would probably need to attend some kind of training. Yeah. Um, some of the tips, um, probably the most important tip is the prep. Yeah. Um, helping people set up their space in order that they can make their models visible. So we send instructions to everybody before the workshop about how to set up their space, how to set up their cameras, their lighting. Um, if it's an important workshop, we do a tech test with every yeah. person. We'll spend 10 minutes um, meeting everybody ahead of time. And if, you know, somebody had poor internet or poor lighting or bad microphone, we can say to them, you know, before the training, uh, please, can you invest in, you know, a different pair of headphones or, you know, add an extra light or or whatever. So it sounds kind of silly. It sounds like sort of almost one of the invisibles. But I think one of the keys is the prep and the setup. Get that bit wrong. And you are off to a tricky start. Um, so that's one of them. The, the next bit to repeat something we've said already in this uh, podcast is um, the design and the planning. Yeah. Um, so we need to set off with a clear set of objectives. 
Um, and then I think mastering as a facilitator, um, you have to become uh, as fluent with the technology as you would be in a face-to-face setting with the bricks. If you don't know your way around Zoom or Mural, if you don't know how to bring in another camera, if you don't know how to make it all work seamlessly, um, it's going to be a stressful experience for the facilitator. And that probably means um, that the method, the online techniques are easier for people who are digitally native. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that people who might be in their sort of 60s or even their 70s who didn't grow up with computing, there's an awful lot to think about. Um, yeah. So I think that would be the third tip. So first tip is kind of do the setup and the prep. Next one is plan a really clear workshop, get a good set of objectives. And the third is be as fluent with the uh, digital platforms as you are with the bricks. And your book is is quite uh, impressive, I have to say, because it's easily laid out. And it I have like, I had so many questions say, how would I transfer this online? I wouldn't even know where to start. And you seem to have done that quite visually as well with a step-by-step process. So I have to applaud you on that. And I think what's really good about Lego is that it's accessible. Like I studied briefly as a counselor and I studied art therapy. And if you give someone a marker, you were talking about flip chart markers or to draw your vision in your head, it probably isn't that um, accessible. People would see that as a barrier, whereas people are familiar with Lego and it's easy for them to create something out of nothing, which I think is is great. And then you must have some wonderful stories in terms of testimonials mm-hmm. over the last couple of months in terms of success stories. Maybe could you share some of those success stories uh, with us? Well, the one that jumps to mind, um, I mean, people have written some very kind things on my LinkedIn profile. So in the recommendation section, lots of people said lots of very kind and generous things. But my favorite um, client testimonial I did a two-day strategy workshop for uh, a charity. It was for the trustees and the senior leaders. Um, and they had they were in conflict. They'd fallen out over a particular issue. Um, I had them explore the issue um, by building models to explain what it meant. Um, the chief executive then stood up and sort of said, you know, I think I was wrong. I've changed my mind. Having heard what you've all said, I think I was wrong. You could see in that moment the trustees relaxed. Oh, thank goodness. Some of them were sort of going to be leaving, that they said afterwards. So at the end of this session, the chairman bounced up to me, and he was very enthusiastic. He said, oh, that's a fantastic two days. Thanks so much, Sean. And then a couple of days later, the phone rang, um, and it was him. Um, lovely guy. And he, in a very serious tone, he said to me, Sean, I need to revise what I said to you at the end of the workshop. And of course I was thinking, oh no, what's happened? You know, something's gone wrong. <laughs> he said, you can imagine, right? I know that he conversation. Said, yeah. And then it turns out. And he said, uh, Sean, I want you to know I love you more than your mother. Ah. <laughs> um, I sort of laughed and sort of said, right, I'm going to give my mum a call and tell her. Because the workshop really had... Um, solved the issues that they had it had given them the outcome yeah. that they were they were hoping for um and i've i've heard those kinds of messages many many times uh, and i don't think that's because i'm a good facilitator um, i think that's because i'm good at planning and prep yeah um, it's all in the planning and the prep yeah and, and that's something i keep i suppose trying to promote to others if you want to be a really good facilitator and i've had two podcasts on this already it is all down to uh the design so i'm so glad that you said that and a lot of people you know probably when they heard you talk about a two-day workshop online they probably balked when they're hearing this like how how did you get a commitment to that how did you structure the day that it was uh engaging then sean yeah i mean i think the sort of the design principle um with any online meeting that's longer than an hour is take a break every 50 minutes. Yeah. So we are absolutely um, relentless about having people take lots and lots of short breaks. So about every 50 minutes, maybe an hour, we will take um, a 10 minute break. Um, And then also to design the energy 
of the, yeah. of the workshop. Um, design the flow of it, if you like. Um, and another thing that we as facilitators can do is, you know, we can bring energy to a group and energize them if they're feeling tired or read that we need to take an unscheduled break or do yeah. an unscheduled energizer. So one of my mantras as a facilitator is facilitate the people, not the process. Yeah. Um, so therefore we need to be, um, having attention the whole time to, to the, the people and sort of see, see what they need. Yeah, I, I tend to work in forty-five minute bursts myself. Great. You know, that's what that's Great. what I like to like to. And then your your days. And I'm just curious. Sorry, this is a technical question. Uh, there, do, like I I operate from ten o'clock to four o'clock. Would you do something similar like that in terms of a full day, or how would that operate for you? Yeah, I'm a bit of a slave driver. I think. I mean, you know, it's it's not unknown for me to do from sort of nine till five um, online. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm 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 a bit more hardcore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Again, it kind of depends upon the objectives. It also depends upon the time zones. Um, sometimes yeah. it can be helpful to take a sort of an eight-hour, one-day process and break it across a couple of a couple of um, shorter slots or sessions. And I think that another thing is 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 that it it's really useful to have uniformity. So we'll say, for example, someone says, "Oh, we all have Lego at home." If you're trying to you know, bring in different pieces, then people, it, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Should people have all the, the window kits or should they, if they have, their kids have Lego, you know, crack on with that? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know some people have said that to me before and I would be uncomfortable not having a uniform, I suppose, set of bricks or a pack. What are your thoughts? It, it depends what the workshop objectives are and also yeah. the build level. So for instance, if you were doing individual model building only, um, then it would be perfectly fine for, for you know, parents to rummage in their kids' bedrooms and pull out a selection of bricks. It, we tend to, to guide people to steer away from bricks that already have strong meaning. You know, mm. if you have a stormtrooper or a, or a Wookiee, um, then it's going to be difficult for that to mean anything other than a stormtrooper or, or a Wookiee. Um, the Lego series play bricks are inherently neutral, and that's a yeah. good thing. Um, if we're doing shared model building, then it's useful for everyone to have the same bricks. Yeah. Um, because we, we sometimes use a process called build along, where I might be the facilitator building the master model to the instructions of others. I'm the magic hands, if you like. And people will replicate what I am building. So that means we are all building a, a simultaneous version of a shared model and you can only do that if people have got the same bricks yeah and i i think that the, the possibilities are endless now for lego serious play so when i think of lego serious play i think of innovation i think of creativity i think of it as primarily as a communication tool i think of it as a, a shared decision making model you know, I see it in many different ways. And when I think about that, I, I also help people with organizational design. So we're going to be going back into the office, hopefully in a very much a hybrid model. And this could be um, a very useful tool or method to explore what that might look like in terms of that vision. Completely agree. Absolutely right. I mean, working practices have been changed by COVID. Um, and therefore helping teams and groups understand what the future of work looks like, um, sometimes using a, a method such as Lego Serious Play could be a very helpful thing to do. Yeah. So if, if people were having a doubt about Lego Serious Play, okay? Yeah. All right. Um, wh what might you say to them? So, you know, I, you know, I was saying this in a previous conversation. What, what might that be? How might you overcome those doubts? Well, I think it depends upon which stage those doubts show up. Um, what I usually do at the beginning of a workshop is legitimize skepticism. So I might say to a group, you know, is anybody feeling a bit skeptical about this process? And usually one or two brave people go, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm not sure. You know, Lego, really? And what I do is I say to them, look, lend me half an hour of goodwill. Just lend me half an hour of goodwill. And let's see whether this process is better than you think it might be. And my experience is once people realize that the process is very democratic, it's creative, the level of listening is higher, it's fun, 
the skeptics, in my experience, are always on board. If we were to meet um, a sort of diehard skeptic who has a closed mind, I, I probably wouldn't even try and sell them or push Lego Serious Play. Yeah. If I meet an intelligent skeptic, somebody who is intelligently skeptical, um, I will I will try to answer their questions. I will try to to address their concerns. I did a um, a strategy workshop for a university a couple of years ago, and the chairman was a absolutely lovely guy, um, and he said to me, "Sean, I'm skeptical about this." He said, "My chief executive thinks it's going to be." the right tool. So I'm going to support her and I'm going to go with it. But I want you to know that I'm, I'm really unsure. He said, I'd like you to have a backup plan in case it doesn't work. And I said to him, okay, John, no problem. Um, and I went to him um, about half an hour into this. It was another two-day strategy workshop. And I went to him after about half an hour and I said to him, John, you know, hey, how are you doing? How are we doing? He's like, great, great, no concerns. Yeah. So, so I think that if we run the first half hour or so of a Lego Series Play workshop really well, that's the time that we can really help get the skeptics on board. And it is about demonstrating that value by the the experience itself. You know, people have to experience Lego, don't they? Yeah. I mean, it is a very experiential um, thing. I think the other thing that's very helpful in the first half hour or so of a workshop is when we teach people that. They, they can use the bricks metaphorically. The Lego play version of Lego is much more um, representative. People try to build um, things that look like things. In yeah. Lego series play, once people realize that they don't need to be good at building clever looking models, that they can yeah. make a, a red brick mean, you know, love or blood or a parrot or the mm -hmm. police or wellness or whatever. Once people realize that they can use the bricks as metaphors, that allays their insecurity about not being very good at building clever-looking models. So the bricks as metaphors is, is a, a very, very different way that we use Lego series play to how children use, use the Lego bricks. And I think that's another way that we can get the skeptics on board. You know, Sean, that has been brilliant for me personally because sometimes I struggle in terms of the, those uh, skeptics. And we are coming near the end of the podcast here today. So what I'd like to maybe uh, invite you in here is maybe offer some key takeaways about Lego Sears Play and maybe the online version. I think um, probably the key takeaway with something which has a crazy name like Lego Serious Play, is to be aware of your own biases. So if you have a, a bias, then just know that that's a bias. Um, have an open mind um, to, to try something. Um, intelligent skepticism is always welcome. Um, and if you were new to this method, hire a talented, skilled, professional facilitator. Um, you know, like with any process, there are people who are really good at it and there are people who are less good at it. And if you've got a high stakes workshop, uh, hire a competent professional facilitator who can give you evidence of using the method to produce outcomes, not just kind of photographs of fancy looking models. I think those are my sort of, um, and I'd, uh, on the online face-to-face -face thing, I would say, I know in the traditional school of Lego serious play, some of the sort of the older teachers have said online is not possible. I have to say they are wrong. Um, yeah. It may not be possible for them, yeah. um, but it is, it is absolutely possible. And in some ways, even better than the face-to-face -face version. Um, so that's kind of my final word on the sort of face-to-face -face online um, dilemma that we've heard something of this year in the community. And I've one final question before I ask your contact details. So have you imagined how we might create a hygiene-friendly, you know, face-to-face uh, -face version once we're back? Do we keep bricks separate or how might that happen? 
Yeah, we wrote about this in the new online book. Um, actually, what you can do is use some of the online techniques in the face-to-face setting. Um, did you get a hold of this? Have you read this book yet? Yeah, I, the online I, one. I, I, I have the digital version of that. Great. Yeah. So in here, let me find the page number. There's a lovely story written by page 134 of the How to Facilitate the Lego Series Play Method Online. It's a case study of some of the guys we trained in the US Army using Lego Series Play in a face-to-face setting. And they used some of the online techniques using what we call magic hands. So they would build the shared model so only one set of fingers touch the bricks. So you can use the online techniques in a face-to-face setting in a COVID-friendly fashion. So, you know, if you wanted to make sure that people weren't touching each other's bricks, you can do the online methods in a face-to-face setting. That is that is wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I have to say, I really uh, am a big fan of all your books and I love following you on LinkedIn. So if people were to get in contact with you, Sean, how might they do so? I guess uh, find me on LinkedIn, Sean Blair. Um, And probably if you Google Sean Blair Lego, you probably find me very easily. Well, Sean, that is all that we have time for today. Thank you so much for your patience with technology issues earlier on. I really appreciate that. And that was really informative for me and I'm sure for our listeners today. Well, William, it's been really lovely um, talking with you. Um, As you can tell, I have a sort of a passion for this method. So it's it's wonderful to be asked to come on your your podcast and, and talk about something that I care about. So I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much today, Sean. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.